morning. Morning, Journey Church. And if you're jumping in on the 11 o'clock service, you're not crazy. I do have a backpack. And you're not crazy. There is a broadcast that's live. So you're not crazy. You didn't oversleep. You're good. You didn't wake up earlier than you thought. We are broadcasting at 11 o'clock, so welcome to you at the 11 o'clock service. And, uh, you know, I was excited when uh, Scott uh, told me a few weeks back that I was going to be teaching on this series about camping. And I'm like, yes, finally a topic I know something about. And yes, I do know something about camping. I have spent most of my childhood and most of my adult life camping in some form or fashion. It started out when I was a kid, we would camp and we would go, and our, camp, our campings were every summer, we would be out in Turlock area, somewhere out there, camping at a lake. And I can remember as a kid, all of me and all my cousins were out, and we would just be, you know, playing in the water, playing in the lake all weekend long. And it was really super hot because it was summertime, and it would be really cool to get out of the lake and, and sit down and, and cut, they'd cut up that ice-cold watermelon. And it's going, the sun is scorching down, and you're just sweating, and you're eating that ice-cold watermelon. Doesn't that make you want watermelon right now? I'm feeling like my stomach's growling right now. But I would love those camping trips. And then as I, I got a little bit older as a teenager, you know, my, my, uh, my uncle kind of was like, yeah, I, you know, I don't mind doing these camping trips, but there's so many other people around us, and it was just kind of like weird. And so he bought a piece of property up in Grass Valley, kind of up in the hills, and we'd take this fire trail to get to it. And uh, he, he took a tractor and uh, kind of leveled out a couple of areas, and so there was a really nice patch of space that we could set up tents. And some people would be daring, and they would bring like a tent trailer down this little fire road, and they would set up camps. But most of us would just bring our tents, right? And some were braver than us, and they would just bring their sleeping bags and a tarp. And that was never me, right? I had to have something covering me, right? So... Um, we would come and we would camp. And these things were just like, these aren't just camping events. These are like family reunions, like on steroids. Like cousins I hadn't seen all year and their friends and family and, and immediate family and, and cousins of them that are from the other sides of their family. And it was just like hundreds of people out at these campsites. So I kind of feel like my camping trips as a teenager were kind of like the Israelites, right? Were these massive people that were just camping and enjoying each other's company. So I've got lots of stories to share with you. So hunker down, we'll get about four hours worth of camp stories I can share. It's Memorial Day weekend, you're okay, you got an extra day tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. I promise, I promise, you online, don't turn it off. It's not going to be four hours, I promise. So Scott started us off in Numbers 2 where he talked about setting the standard under the Lord where, where, the, where the Lord was the center of the camp, right? And you set up everything around the Lord and you followed the Lord and you followed him in the day with a pillar of smoke and they followed him at night with a pillar of fire and, and the Lord was at the center of everything. And in Numbers 11, he talked about cleaning out our camp of complaints when they were whining about, can we just have some meat to eat? And boy, did they get what they asked for, Right? They were complaining, and we learned to, to work through our complaints through uh, confession and consecra consecration. Excuse me, I always say concentration. That's, sometimes it takes some concentration, yeah. 
And so I, I kind of wanted to talk about, I, I started thinking about camping, and, and some of my experiences are, are in camping, but I think the most adventurous experiences I had were related to backpacking, or kind of in the wilderness. Now, I know there's some backpackers in the audience. You know, I see you out there. I know, I know who you are. And so uh, I'm, I'm not a backpacking expert by any means, but I just want to tell you about some of the experiences I had. So if you're going to camp in the wilderness, there's probably a few tools that you need if you're camping in the wilderness. So one tool you need is a compass. Mine happens to be digital. I don't recommend a digital compass because what happens with digital compasses? The batteries die, and then you're out in the wilderness, and you don't know which way is north, unless you know which way is north, right? But one good thing about a compass is it, it's a simple little device, a little metal needle with a red arrow on it, and that needle points which direction, folks? North. And that metal needle, no matter which way you turn, you can turn in a full circle. Yeah, I got my back to the audience. You can turn in a full circle, and which way is that needle always going to point? North. Always. One beautiful thing about a compass is no matter what you do, no matter how lost you are, you always know where true north is. You always have a reference point. We went out camping uh, on this backpacking trip, and we had, uh, it was probably about, oh gosh, I'd say 20 years ago at least, and uh, we're, we're backpacking. My very first overnight backpacking trip, so I had, a, I had a pack like this, and they had sleeping bag, and tent, and all my food, and jackets, and clothes, and just packed into this backpack, and I'm, and I'm trudging through here, and I'm like, I got it. I carry all this extra stuff. I've got like 10 water bottles in here, because I don't remember water, and so I realized that bringing water was extra weight. So that was a challenge. But I was young. I was in good shape. I could do it. So anyway, we're hiking, and it was like a father-son camping trip at our church. And our, my boys were, were too young to go. I think Jason was, was just a baby, and Brandon was, was very young. He was like three or four, so really too young to go on a backpacking trip into the wilderness. But we hiked into the wilderness. Uh, it's up near Pine Crest. Um, I think it's called um, Immigrant Wilderness Loop. There's a whole loop that goes. Uh, it's a long trip. I want to say it's probably like... You know, I'm not an expert, but it's probably like 20 miles or so full trip, and there's variations you can take on this. We took this one branch that broke off and went up, um, went up this trail, and it went up by Camp Lake and, and by Bear Lake, and then it disappears up into the crevices between two hills. And if you kept going, you would end up in Nevada, but obviously we weren't going to go that far. We hiked up to pretty much where the trail ended on this, on this particular trail, which was probably about a quarter mile above uh, Bear Lake. So we get in there, we're hot, it's summertime, it's dusty, right, because the trail's dusty, and we get there and we set everything up. It was about five or six miles in, so it wasn't super long hike, um, but it was my first ever experience of taking a full pack in, on a hike, so um, we, we got up there. We, we, we saw all kinds of people as we're getting near there, because lots of people travel the loop, and then once we took this branch, we stopped seeing people, and we're like, oh, this is cool. There's nobody else up here. We were enjoying it, and it was quiet, and we got to our campsite, and we're nestled in above the lake about a quarter mile, like I said, and it's about 7,700 feet is about where our campsite was. I know that now because I came back and looked at a map. I didn't have any fancy devices back then to tell me what elevation we were at, so I came back and looked at a, at a, at a survey map and tried to figure out where we were. And then above us, I noticed... When I got to this camp, I looked up, 
And on the far right, if I'm looking into this crevice, there's a V at the, you know, at the, at the, at the end as far as you can look on the horizon. And when I look in the crevice, I look up on the right, and there's a steep cliff that, that, that kind of winds up and goes straight up. And uh, that peak I found out later on was about 8,600, 8,700 feet. And on the left-hand side, there was a series of ledges of rocks that went up, and that side was also about 85, 8,600 feet. And so we're nestled down in this valley with these big, steep, majestic mountains on either side of us. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful... So I'm trying to paint this picture for you. I hope you're getting it. Just this beautiful sight. And when you turned around and looked behind you, there was the lake. And you could hear the river running right along our campsite. So it was just a gorgeous... I was like, this is what God created. This is just amazing, his creation. He loved me so much that he created this for me, right? Well, not just me, for y'all too, but just for me. And so we're going to pick up our story in uh, Numbers 13. We're going to start right in the beginning of it because we're going to find out that, that uh, like your compass, you need to be able to trust true north. And the Israelites weren't very good at times, of trusting the Lord. And we're going to read on this a little bit here. So right at the beginning of the, of the chapter of Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So you get this picture. God says to Moses, send 12 guys, one from each tribe, I want them to see the land I'm going to give them. I want them to see the land I'm going to give them. I'm telling you, if the Israelites got that, if they got what God said to Moses, if they understood it completely, this would be the end of this message. But they didn't get it. They missed an important piece of that. This is the land they were going to give them. And they glossed right past it. You'll see as we move on. But... Moses sent them at God's command on a spy mission. He wanted them to explore the land to look for the, the fruit that was growing there, the plentifulness that was growing there. Look for trees, look at the cities where they walled, where the, where the cities fortified, were they strong. Look at the people, were they powerful, were they soldiers? Try to find, get a lay of the land. And so they, send, they set out on this trek. And it's about a 40-day trek. In fact, the Bible tells you it's a 40-day trek. I wouldn't have known that. But it's a 40-day trek. God gave them this preview. He gave this preview of their promise that he made, that he was going to give them this land flowing with milk and honey. And they had been following him for, for a couple of years now, and when they got whiny about it, you know, he sent a pillar of smoke in the daytime so they could see that they were going the right way. And, oh, are we headed there yet? Are we there yet? And he sent a pillar of fire at night so that they could see where God was. And they were just not getting it. They were just missing the point. So this was my first backpacking trip. I had to trust the leaders that were in charge of this trip. I had to trust that they had the skill and the understanding and the, the experience of this backpacking trip. I had to put my trust in them. Now, God had been leading these people for all this time, and he was asking them, trust me now, I'm going to show you the land I'm going to give you. 
The second object you might need to take with you. I actually had to go get one of these because I didn't have one. A bite and sting kit. In here is a kit that allows you to maybe survive if you get should, should you get bit by a rattlesnake. Yeah. So I didn't have one of these. Might be an object you might need if you're hiking in the wilderness. You never know what you're going to come across. I can remember when I was one of my camping trips on my uncle's property, he would go up, you know, a number of times a year each weekend and do some work on the campsite and do some work on the area and refine it and, and pipe some water down in so we didn't have to, like, bring water with us. And he would tap into a stream and it would run into this big, this big uh, barrel, I would call it a, a tank, and then from that tank, it would drain down, and we could actually, he had actually had a gas water heater there, a propane water heater, and we actually could take hot and cold showers. We're like, hey, we didn't get to do this before. We used to have to jump in a lake to get wet, right? But we could actually take hot and cold showers. Not that I'd ever take a cold shower, but, you know, it would be a hot shower. And so we got to enjoy that. But my, my cousin and I, we weren't doing any work. I was about 12 or 13. My cousin was 15 or 16. And, and, you know, we were up just, we were doing what boys do, right? There's a river called the South Yuba River that runs right along the property. And so we would, uh, we would take our inner tubes that we brought up and we, you know, pumped up, you know, the hand pump, you know, bicycle pump. We sit there and pump that thing up. There's big black inner tubes. And so we hiked up, we were hiking up the rocks and and we were jumping in the water on the tubes and floating down. And we'd grab our tubes and we'd hike back up the rocks and we'd jump back in the river and float down. And after about three or four of these, I'm like, hey, let's go higher. The water looks like it's a little more white up there. That might be more fun. He's like, yeah, let's go higher. And so I go, I'll, I'll, I'll go this time. And so I went first and he's right behind me. And we're hiking up and we're getting, the rocks are getting a little more steep and a little more challenging and we're hiking up. And I get up there and I'm hiking, I'm hiking, and I'm going, oh, I see some up there. He goes, stop. I just was like, what do you mean stop? He goes, don't move. I'm like, I'm moving. He says, look to your right. So I peeked over, and about two feet off my right side was a rattlesnake coiled up. And I didn't hear him at first, but once I saw him, I heard him. And he's looking at me. I'm looking at him. And he's like, whatever you do, don't move. I'm like, I I'm not moving. I I'm not moving. And so I'm sitting there, like, staring at him out of the corner of my eye, and the river's over here on the left, and he's like, and I start to kind of shift. He goes, don't move! And I'm like, all right, I'm not moving. And he kind of comes over on my flank, and I can see the snake's starting to keep an eye on him. He turned his attention. As soon as he turned his head, whoo, I'm into the river with my tube hanging on for dear life, right? And I'm thinking, he's jumping in after me, right? I'm like, he's right behind me, and I turn around and look, and he's like David up there. He's got rocks, and he's like, Bleh! He's just like throwing these rocks at this snake. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get in the water. And he's like, no, they can swim. And he's throwing rocks at the snake. And I'm like floating down the river. And I'm not a part of my body is in the water. I'm like up on top of this tube. I'm like, hey, you can swim. No. And so we're getting down the water. And I look, and he finally, he stops. And he looks, he picks it up. And he goes, got it. And he throws it down and jumps in the water. And I was like, at that moment, I realized I dodged a very, very, Powerful bullet, right? Because this was a little small snake. It was, it was probably only about two feet long. And if you know anything about rattlesnakes, babies are the worst. They don't know how to control the venom that they inject. And so I could have been very quickly in a serious problem then. But I dodged a bullet there. 
So as we get back to our story, I learned from the past on that experience that snakes can be anywhere. They can be in the most innocent of places. This one happened to be warming himself on a rock. I found out later on that snakes like to hide sometimes in wooded areas, like underneath fell trees, things like that. And so I was always on hikes, you know, hey, there's a tree, I'm going to jump up on the tree and walk on the tree and then jump down the other side. And they're like, no, 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 no. don't jump down, don't, don't jump over trees, try to go around them. I'm like, why? Because snakes hide sometimes in the trees. I'm like, okay, so no trees, no rocks by rivers. Is there any place I can hike in the wilderness? So I learned from my experiences, though, to look out for my surroundings and always be aware of what's around me. The Israelites were on a spy mission, and they were looking at, at areas that were around them, but they weren't learning from the past. See, God had shown them time and time again that he was for them. When he took them out of Egypt and he marched them down to the Red Sea, and then they were like, oh my gosh, here come the Egyptians, we're going to die, we should have stayed in camp, we should have stayed and, and served them. God opened the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land, and when they tried to follow, God closed the sea on them and killed them. But they forgot about that. And then later on in Exodus 16, they were whining because they didn't have any food and God provided manna and gave them rules around that manna. Said only collect enough to serve you for that day. And they would try to collect too much and it would spoil and get rotten and they didn't learn from that. Oh, and then there was another rule about manna. You couldn't collect any manna on the Sabbath. But they kept trying to collect manna on the Sabbath and the, and the manna would spoil and it would get moldy and, and they just weren't learning from their past. And then Exodus 32 comes along, and they're like, where's that Moses guy? He went up on the mountain. You know what? Let's make a golden calf. That's what we should do, and we can worship the golden calf. It's like the, the Israelites were just like, they weren't getting it. They weren't getting that, that God was taking them on this journey, and all they had to do was be obedient and follow them. But they just kept getting impatient. They showed that they did not learn how to trust God time and time again. They demonstrated that. So after 40 days, they returned from their mission, and we pick it back up in verse 27. I, I kind of skipped ahead. They, 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 they surveyed the land. They saw the people. They saw the cities. They saw the food, and it was plentiful. And they brought back this food, and two of them carried this big branch of, of grapes. And they put them, I have this mental image of the way they describe it, they carried it on a stick, like tied to a stick, and two guys are like carrying it on their shoulder, and I'm like, what is it, the Ark of the Covenant? It's grapes, you know? But they were carrying this, like this, this bounty that they got, right? They were excited about it. They were gonna bring it back. So we pick it up in verse 27. It says, they gave Moses this account. So these guys, 12 of them went out for 40 days. They came back. They gave him this account. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Look, here's some of its fruit. They're like, ta-da, we're back with the fruit, ta-da, milk and honey. So obviously they're saying God was right. He told the truth. It does flow with milk and honey. But they couldn't just do that. They couldn't just leave it there. We're going to find out later about this. They went into the land... And they saw the truth. So I, had, I took my son 
fishing on one of our camping trips. It was, this was actually a trailer, tri- a trailer trip. So, uh, okay, I'll, in, all, in all transparency, I think I've graduated from sleeping on the hard ground to sleeping in a trailer. I, I'm just going to be real. To me, that's still camping. Now, some of you hardcore campers will say, that's not camping. That's glamping, right? That's all right. Call it what you want. I enjoy it. I can still park my trailer out in the wilderness and enjoy, enjoy the wilderness and then close the door at night. And I don't, have any, I don't have any snakes in my trailer, so just saying. So uh, we were camping near this river, and uh, it was a slough along the, the California Delta, and there was a dock there, and I was taking my, my uh, boys fishing. I think Brandon, Jason was very young. I want to say he was like four or five, and Brandon was, uh, he was probably like, what, nine or ten or something like that. But they were, uh, they were out fishing, and, and Jason wasn't really fishing. He was just kind of hanging out with us, but... Brandon was fishing, and he was learning to cast, and so he would, he would get the line, and he would, like, cast it. And I, oh, that was a good one, Brandon. Yeah, I, I could do better, you know. And he'd do it again, and he'd set up. Wow, that's really good. How far can you get it this time? Watch this, Dad, and he'd do it again. And he wound up, whoop, and he and the pole, everything went in the water. Right in the water. Now, for a split second, I'm glad my wife wasn't there. Because for a split second, as I'm looking over the edge of the dock, he's not there. He's underwater. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please bring him back up. Please bring him back up. I can't walk back into that camp without my son. Please bring him back up. My wife will kill me. We'll both be dead. Please bring him back up. So he popped back up, and I grabbed his hand, and we pulled him out. So when he pulled him out, he's just a drenched, you know, mess, right? By the way, his glasses never fell off. I don't understand that. But the pole was gone. And I'm like, you all right? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. I go, well, you want to use my pole? And he goes, no, I want to go back to camp. I'm like, all right. So we walk back to camp, and we're walking back down the hill, and, and Kim, Kim sees us from a distance off, and she's like, what the heck? He's just drenched. There's no pole in his hand. He's walking like he's just, like, defeated, right? But here's the, here's the point of that. Sometimes those Best lessons learned are from the mistakes that we make, right? Brandon very quickly figured out that balance was important and momentum was a real thing. (laughs) And so he learned very quickly about the laws of physics there. So the third thing you might need if you're on a wilderness packing trip is a way to protect your food. And I brought this thing. Yeah, it's kind of big. I know. Some of, you, some of you backpackers are like, that ain't a bear canister. It is. It's called a bear canister. Some call it a bear vault. This one you can see, you've got to turn it several times. And it just goes, it's a very heavy-duty plastic, and when you, when you get it to where you want it, and it clicks into place, it's very hard for even a human to open it. Yeah, see? So, the thing is, bears can't grab it and turn it, but, you know, Protect your food. Very important to keep your food safe. You run out of food, you don't eat. No science there, right? So here's the thing. We were on this backpacking trip, and we had bedded down for the night. We're back to our backpacking trip at Bear Lake. We bedded down for the night. We had our tents up, and, and these guys who are experienced, experienced backpackers, they bring us in, and they gather everybody around. They say, okay, very important. You all got your tents set up. That's great. Now you need to help us go set up our, our camp at another location. And we're like, wait, what? There are tents right here. What do you mean? Oh, we have to go set up our, 
place where we're going to cook our food, you know, where we're going to eat. And we're like, some of us who hadn't been out there, we're like, what are you talking about? This is where we're camped. And so they explained to us, look, you can't eat anywhere near your tent. You can't eat food anywhere near your tent. You can't have snacks anywhere near your tent because bears can smell very good, like extremely well. So I got home and, you know, Google, Google being what it is, gave me some information, and I found out that uh, they, they wanted us to put the, the food in the, in the campsite where we're going to eat at least 100 feet away from our tents so that we weren't anywhere near it. And we put our, kept our food sealed up in these, in these containers. And I, I was like, okay, well, you know, okay, I, I guess I get that. And I was like, I understand. I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll be obedient. And so uh, I did find out that, that uh, the average dog can smell 100 times better than a human. The average bloodhound, which is a dog, right, but it's a special breed of dog, the average bloodhound can smell 300 times better than the average dog. The average bear can smell seven times better than a bloodhound. So if you're doing the math, that's 2,100 times better than a human being. And it's said that a bear can smell a carcass, that's a dead animal, those of you who don't know it, or a dead creature. They could smell a dead carcass 20 miles upwind. 20 miles, they could smell my trail mix in my tent 20 miles away. <laughs> yeah, I'm not putting anything in my tent, right? Because if they could smell that, they could certainly smell me, right? So, I listened to those guys and what they were telling me. The Israelites, back to our story, the Israelites... Um, they had to learn to listen to God's voice, not their own. I'll show you what we're talking about here. We pick it back up in 27. So 27, they just said, here's the milk, here's the fruit. It does flow with milk and honey. And then there's this important word, and I circled in my Bible. But. But. Yeah, we know God told the truth. The land's full of milk and honey. But. But. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. So they're like building this up, right? Anak that lived there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Oh my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Right? That's the vision I've got. These guys are like, yeah, we got all this, but, but these guys... They're stronger than us. We're slaves. We're shepherds. They're soldiers. They weren't getting it. They put faith in themselves and what they could do. They looked around them and put, and put faith in the people that were around them above the God in heaven. They were missing it. By a long shot. They changed their focus and focused on the problem and not who was going to provide the solution. They heard God's promise and they saw, but all they could hear in their head was the but. But they were powerful. But their cities were fortified. But their cities were large. But their descendants of a knack that's all they could get in their head. 
and they couldn't get past it. When we put our faith in ourselves, we will most likely fail. When we put our faith in God, no matter how far, far we fall, no matter how many times we stumble, no matter how many times we trip up and make a mistake, we're never going to fail because God is always with us. And the Israelites missed it. They had the opportunity. They had the preview. And they missed this moment. So as I laid in the tent that first night on my backpacking trip, you know, we're getting ready to nestle down, and I, you know, my, I'd already explained my boys didn't come with me on this trip, and so the, the, the leader of the trip had a teenage son. He was like 12 or 13, and so he asked, he says, hey, you mind, you know, if my son, you know, rooms with you in the tent? And I'm like, yeah, no, that's fine. I knew him, and so it was fine. And so we're nestling down, and we're getting ready to zip up for the night, and I just reminded him, hey, um, just, just a reminder, you don't have any food in your tent, right? And he goes, no, no, no food, no snacks, no, okay, cool. So we zip up for the night, and it gets quiet, and the fire's out, and everybody's getting quiet, and you're starting to hear Dad snore left and right, you know. And uh, it's quiet. And so uh, we're laying down, and I'm just about ready to fall asleep, and I hear some rustling, and I'm like, you hear everything when you're camping, and there's nothing else around, right? You just hear everything. Somebody can turn over in a sleeping bag, and you hear it, right? And I'm trying to fall asleep, and there's snoring going on all around me, and I'm like, all right, this isn't going to work, you know. And so I'm sleeping, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden I hear some rustling. I'm like, ah, oh, somebody's got to go to the restroom, okay, whatever. You know, they went, they probably have to find the shovel and the toilet paper and go dig the hole. Yeah, that's what you do when you're out in the wilderness. You dig a hole. So I'm like, okay. And then the rustling's getting closer, and it's getting closer. And pretty soon I can hear it's really close to us. And I'm laying there awake, and it's like, this sounds different. And all I hear is, <laughs> I'm like, my eyes get about this big. And I look over, and the, and the teenager is with me. He's rolled over, facing away from me. He rolls over, and he's looking at me, and we're looking at each other. We're like, what is that? And then it was a very clear night that night, and the moon was right above. And so the moon's shining down, and I'm telling you, I see a silhouette. And it's not a man. I see a silhouette, and it's a bear. And I'm telling you, I felt like that was a knack there. This bear was probably 30 feet tall. I mean, it probably wasn't, but in the moonlight, in that silhouette, and in my fear, this bear was huge, and he was right outside our tent. I could see the tent moving every time he, like, breathed. The tent's moving. I'm like, oh. I'm like, he leans over to me. The, the, student, the kid leans over to me. I lean over to him, and he goes, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know, but be quiet. And, then, and it got quiet for a second. I, you don't have any food, right? You know, no. So for a second, I was like, okay, we don't have any food. All right, it'll be fine. He'll leave. Just be quiet. So we're quiet. We heard some more rustling, and finally the, the sound went away. But for that split second, I was like, boy, I'm glad I didn't put trail mix in my tent. <laughs> I'm glad I listened to those guys, and I didn't put some snacks in my tent because <laughs> that bear just kept right on moving. So the next morning we wake up and we're all in a buzz, right? Like, did you see it? Did you hear it? Did you see the bear? Did you see it? Did anybody see it? And nobody saw it because everybody was like, most of the dads were snoring. They were out, right? <laughs> but the few of us that were awake were mostly the kids and we're like, did you see it? We're like, no, I didn't see it. And I'm not a kid. I'm an adult. And I'm like, did you see it? <laughs> I swear I saw this shadow, but I didn't see it, right? And it was just like, we had this buzz about it. And we went over to see 
well, where else? Where's our, our food? And so we run over to see what our food was, and the canisters were still there, but they had been battered around a little bit. And I swear there was this one canister that had, uh, like, Wolverine, and it had, like, stripe through it, you know. And it, wasn't, it didn't get into it, but they had a nice little, you know, scratches in it from the claws. And I'm like, well, that's why you put your food in the canister. <laughs> I didn't have a canister, but my food was hanging up in a tree on a very thin limb, you know, about... 20 feet in the air, and I looked up, and I saw the canisters, I'm like, my food! I looked up, oh, it's still there, good. <laughs> so, I didn't go hungry that weekend, that was a good thing. But here's the thing, I did learn on that backpacking trip, that in that moment when I was afraid, in that moment when my fear was about to take over, and I was about ready to rip that tent open and start running, that God quieted me in that moment, and it was just like, you're fine. You're fine. I've got you. I listened to that voice rather than my own voice, which was, get the heck out of there, right? So the fourth object you might need if you're out on a wilderness camping trip. Yeah, that's a water filtration system. So a couple of guys had these. Um, I borrowed one, and I went, when I got home, I bought one. But uh, they, they were very clear about this. They loaned them out to us and let us use, you know, a couple of them let us use them. And they said, very important. The most important thing about these is, this is your inlet tube. Comes from your water source. Usually a river, right? A lake. Hopefully not too stagnant a lake, right? And this is your output source. Never, ever, ever let your input source get near your output source. Because then you contaminate your water source. Right? So I'm like, all right. Inlet tube, away from my outlet tube. I got that. Okay. That was about two ounces. All right. It takes a long time to pump 32 ounces of water. I'm telling you. You can just pump, pump, pump. But the water is clean. Okay. So one thing I learned about these is that um, they're really good and there are rules around them. So I'd already trusted these guys so far on where to put my food and the tent my tent didn't get barreled down by a bear, so they knew what they were talking about, so I was going to trust them on this issue. So you might need water when you're, when you're on, a, on a trip. The counsel that they gave me was wise so far, so I was willing to listen to them on this one too. And see, this is where it falls apart for the Israelites. Yeah, they got frayed, but they were about to hear some wise counsel that they didn't listen to. We pick it back up in verse 30. So they just talked about lions and bears and tigers, oh my, right? They had been afraid of all this stuff that was going on. And then there's one person. There's that one person. Maybe that one person in your life who just speaks the truth to God all the time. Here's that one person. Caleb silenced the people. I don't know how he silenced the people. I don't know if he said, shh, and they just got quiet. Or he said, hey, you dummy, shut up. However he did it, he silenced the people. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, if you just came with these 12 guys and you saw the enemy, you just spied in the country, you knew what you were up against, you might listen to your own fears. Or you might listen to this one guy who everybody probably thought was crazy. They're like, did you just go on the same hike we did? What are you talking about? 
spoiler alert, out of all those guys, two guys got to see the promised land. Caleb was one of them. Caleb got to see the promised land. Deuteronomy 36 to 38, it tells you that story. That Caleb is, uh, and God was, he was mad. He was mad because they didn't listen to him. And he said, none of this wicked generation, evil generation, is going to see the promised land except for Caleb. Because Caleb spoke the truth. Caleb had the wise counsel. They chose not to listen to him. See, you're always going to have a voice at play in your mind. One is going to be God. And it may be in the form of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to, if you're smart, you're going to hear that one. You're going to listen to that one if you're going to be able to discern it. One might be someone that's like Caleb, who's wise, who is so in tune with God that he's hearing and able to discern God's voice above the other noise. And maybe Caleb's brave enough to tell you, you're Caleb, maybe your Caleb's brave enough to tell you, look, just do it. God's got your back. He's going to provide for you. But then there's another voice. There's another voice that whispers. See, this voice knows you. This voice knows your desires. It knows what you like. It knows what you want. It knows what makes you comfortable. And this voice is whispering to you too. But this voice isn't of God. This voice is, is, is not of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew this. We're going to flip to 2 Corinthians. And yeah, we're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, and those of you that have read the Bible from the beginning to the end, you understand that this book, this whole book, is centered around Jesus Christ. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it draws us back to Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of this book. So let's see what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12. And I keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered with us in the things they boast about. See, there were some people that were preaching a different gospel. They claimed to be apostles. And they were... They were tweaking the gospel on their behalf. They wanted it to say a certain thing. And Paul was the one who said, no, that's not going to happen. This is the truth. He said, he goes on to say, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Look. There's always going to be a voice in your head. You have to choose the voice that aligns with God and his values. You have to choose the voice that doesn't make you feel good sometimes but it brings you the right, to the right place. You have to choose the voice that in all of its truth points to God, not some of it, because the enemy will give you partial truth. You know what? This is true, and this is true, and I feel like that's where we are in this generation. Partial truths. We can justify everything with just a little bit of the truth. 
and not the whole truth. And I feel like that's where these 12 men fell short. They didn't see it. We will always have the enemy and those who serve him wanting to push their own agenda, to push their own narrative, to tell you what sounds pleasing, but those are lies. Joshua got to lead the people after Moses died into the promised land. And in Joshua 24, at the end of his book, he talks about this. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, here, my interpretation, if you'll allow me, if you would rather listen to the lies, if you would rather listen to this other narrative, if you would rather listen to the voices that are self-serving, if you would rather listen to social media, then by all means, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And you guys know how this ends. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua and Caleb got it. They got to see the promised land. Joshua went on to lead them after Moses and helping them into the promised land and got to usher them in. It didn't matter what was going on. You were not going to deter Caleb. And I think because of his faithfulness in speaking out, we don't know because Joshua didn't really say anything at that point, but that had to spur him along. See, when that one person speaks the truth and it's alignment with God, it encourages others. So you need to be that person at times. You need to be brave enough to just say, yeah, I don't think that's right even if you feel like everybody's against you. Stick to the truth that you know to be of God. One of the earliest, earliest, earliest learnings from my childhood camping experiences came when we were getting ready to leave and head home. My dad would always take us camping, and he, and he, he always tried to use, them, use our camping trips as teachable moments. And I can remember my dad would tell us, police the area, look for trash. Those were his words. I, I remember them. They're ingrained in my brain. Police the area, look for trash. And I'm like, do I get a badge with that, Dad? <laughs> like, what does that mean, police the area? Go around and pick up trash. And I'm like, all right. That's not ours. Do I have to pick, that? pick it up? <laughs> all right. He wouldn't be looking. I'd cover some up, you know. And he would always know. He's like, you guys missed some. Come on, let's go. But what about that? What about that? But, Dad, that's not ours. He goes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter if the trash that you were picking up was left by you or not. We were not leaving it for somebody else to clean up. And that was what he wanted to show us. I didn't get it at the time. Years later, I got it. It didn't matter what people before us did. We were going to do the right thing. And I feel like that Caleb was like this. I don't care what you guys said. We need to do the right thing. God said it's ours. We need to go take it. We're not honoring him by being afraid. 
It doesn't matter what the unfaithful people say in your life. God's promises will be realized, whether it's through you or somebody else. Our faith should always be on what God promises, not the lies. As you, as you step through this life, God's promises are always going to be surrounded by fears. The enemy's got a barricade around God's promises because he's already lost the battle. He's lost the battle for your soul, but he can keep you from influencing somebody else if he can keep you afraid. So he's got, a, he's got a barricade around God's promises, and it's fear, fear of that, fear of this, fear of failure, fear of looking silly, fear of whatever, you fill in the blank. The future God has for us is always surrounded by fears, and they'll distract you from your future. So I want to encourage you to take your fears, I call them scary stories, to take your fears... Take your scary stories and turn them into his glories. Because when you honor him and you don't fall into fear and you fall into obedience and you fall into listening to him and you fall into doing what he asks for, he gets the glory. And we get the reward of it. We get the blessing. Father God, we thank you for this this story of uh, Numbers 13, and we thank, we're thankful that you give us some stories where people fall short and not just all the really good stuff. Because in, in those moments, Father God, we can see that even when we fall short, we could be redeemed if we come back to you, Father God. Father, I just pray that we can learn to not live in fear of whatever's going on around us and start living in obedience to what you call us to do. Father God, your, your joy and your mercy and your glory all come because of your love for us. You want, you want us to be blessed beyond what we can believe. And all we need to do is follow and obey you and not listen to those fears in our minds. Father God, just be with us during this holiday, Father God. Help us to remember those that have paid the price for us. And help us to not live in fear, but to live boldly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net slash giving.